One of our Mastermind students read a book in the Mastermind program and felt not so smart after reading the book. And so he posted something on the private side of our website. We have a private forum for our Mastermind students that no one else in the world can can access but the students. And so it's kind of like our own little place where we talk to each other, and it's a part of how we serve our students. We give them a little, we give them a corner that we can all stand on and communicate with each other among the other benefits of being in our mastermind program. And so he posted on the private forum, I read this book, such such book, and <laughs> I don't I don't feel so smart, and I'm to, beginning to wonder if I have the ability to counsel someone, counsel anyone, and I would love your opinion on it. Well, those are some of the things that we talk about in our Mastermind program. It's a very open and transparent community, and nobody's trying to get ahead of anyone else. No one's comparing themselves to anyone else. It's just a transparent, honest place where we can talk because we all have the same focus. We want to sharpen our, we want to sharp, sharpen ourselves, and we want to get as many tools as we can in our toolbox for this great work of helping people. And so, I, I appreciate this particular student. I, I love them all, but I mean, he really puts it out there sometimes with, with his honesty. And so, actually, what I'm going to do in this podcast is I'm going to answer the question. The title of this podcast is Life Over Coffee. It's episode 241. The title, what if I'm not smart enough to do biblical counseling? There it is. And so I want to walk through uh, what our student is asking. Is Again, as he wondered if he has the necessary IQ to do biblical counseling. Now, granted, the book that he read is it's a heady book, and it does require a high level of reflective thinking to grasp some of the truths that are communicated in the book. And the question that he asks is, is intriguing, and I want to turn it around on you. What about you? Are you smart enough to disciple someone? Be careful. That's a trick question. I'm, I'm telling you up front, uh, but I know some of you do disqualify yourself from doing biblical counseling or discipleship, and I've talked to many Christians who have disqualified themselves, and there are reasons that they do that, and now that's why this question that he's asking is so important. As an aside, it did remind me of when I was uh, taking an MDiv class a number of years ago, and I, actually I don't remember the class, but I re- remember the the prof, and he the prof spoke seven languages. One of them was English, which was fantastic, and I, I remember there were several t- uh, class sessions when I was sitting under his teaching, and. He took me so far deep into the woods, I wasn't even sure how I got there, and I was no clue how I was going to get out. I mean, he was just one heady dude. And, and I know the temptation to that you could succumb to is that when you read something that's a little bit higher than you are, it's like, what in the world am I doing? Now, I'm going to share with you, I have 15 responses to my students, so I'm going to jump right into them. I want to give you 15 answers or responses to what he's asking. Again, he's asking, am I smart enough to do biblical counseling? Do I, do I have the IQ is the specific question that he's asking. By the way, I am Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Life Over Coffee, and you, you, the podcast. And if you want to talk to me about 
this or maybe something else, you're welcome to do that. You can jump on our forums and we have a team of folks who will be glad to answer whatever questions you have. And we do want to serve you that way. We get regular inquiries about our mastermind program and it is our all online training program. We train, we'll train anybody that wants to do it. If you want to learn how to do discipleship uh, in a in a significant way, or, or maybe you would call it biblical counseling, that's fine. If you want to learn how to do biblical counseling, we would love to train you. It'd be it'd be fantastic. All right. So the question is, what if I'm not smart enough to do biblical counseling? Again, he's thinking specifically about IQ. Now the answer is not straightforward, but it does require a person to think about several data pieces to assess themselves honest, honestly. And, and you do have to look at it from several different angles. If you just slice into this, pull out one slice to see if you have the ability to disciple someone, you could get yourself in a ditch quickly. Discipleship is not just for a person with high IQ. Like If, the, if that were the case, well, I wouldn't be doing biblical counseling. Many of you would not either if it's just for the Mensa candidate, the person with a high IQ. Only a few people would disciple. And so there are a few ways for you to assess yourself to see what kind of disciple maker you are. And so as I work through this list, the things that I'm going to lay out for you were just top of mind ideas, things that just flew off the top of my mind. So they're not in any particular Order. Now, in this podcast, I'm going to be framing the discussion around the idea of counseling or disciple making, but I want you to hear this. You can take all 15 of these indicators and apply them to any profession. It doesn't have to be Christian. It could be any profession. The things that I'm going to share with you have universal application to any career choice. Again, episode 241, what if I'm not smart enough to do biblical counseling? Maybe you want to answer it this way. What if I'm not smart enough to do fill in the blank? And then you put anything in that blank. All right, in no particular order, well, I'm going to take the first one that he mentioned. I have 15 slices of pie here. He only gave me one slice. What if I don't have the IQ to do biblical counseling. IQ is a specific way of measuring a person's intelligent intelligence. It's an intelligence test. And like always to any way to analyze such matters, an IQ test is tilted toward some people while not the best way of assessing others. And you can do a deeper dive into IQs uh, and the the upside of it, the positive side of it. There's a positive side of it, but there is also a eugenic, for example. There's a negative side of it, and it would be well worth your time if, if this does interest you to study the pros and cons of an IQ test. That's why you just don't want to say that my IQ is such and such, therefore I either am qualified or not qualified to do biblical counseling. You don't want to do that. Let, let's say that even if you did well on an IQ test, and I it just says it that you did well on this test. Let let me give you a, a simple illustration. Let's say that you you crammed to take your driver's license test and and you you just boom, you busted it. I mean, you a 100, you scored 100. 
Does that mean that you have the ability to drive? Not necessarily. An IQ test doesn't mean that you have that you're going to improve your cognitive abilities, like such as your memory, your attention endurance. Uh, doing well on an IQ test doesn't mean that you're going to have attention endurance. It doesn't mean you're going to have thought speed. For example, memory, attention endurance, thought speed, just three illustrations. In counseling, in discipleship, you do have to have thought speed because things are coming at you quickly, rapidly. You're sitting in front of someone and they're just giving you all of this information and you have to have a, a certain processor to be able to do that. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have a high or low IQ. And that's why if you just take IQ as, as the data point to be able to do disciple making, you could get yourself into some discouraging weeds. And so IQ, yeah, that could be part of it. But here's another area too, number two, capacity. Capacity is a person's God-given cup container I'm talking about. You have a container. And so you open your cupboard or in your kitchen and you look at all the glasses and the cups and you see all different sizes that can hold different ounces. Now, if you have a little uh, a shot glass like that you put your Cuban coffee in, well, what you want is a, and a shot glass might not be <laughs> the name of it, but what you want is a very small container because you just don't want this, a quart of Cuban coffee for breakfast. And so you fill that small container up with Cuban coffee, and, and it, it is fantastic. It, but, and it serves a purpose, but it's a small cup. And so everybody has their own capacity. It's a God-given cup size that you receive at birth, and your goal is to fill up your cup to the rim each container is different. And that's what you don't want to do is compare one person to another person. You, you could have a, a high capacity, a big cup person, or you can have an IQ for a particular discipline, but not be as capable in another field that your mind doesn't think that way. And so you can have a high IQ and, and have a significant capacity but you're in a field, a discipline, where your mind just doesn't function that way, and you're not going to do well with it. So well, I, got, I got a high IQ. I got a, a significant capacity where you're in the wrong place. You're not doing the right thing. And, and so one of the things that you do want to do is to find your sweet spot, the, the place where your IQ fits and your capacity fits. And those are just two indicators. Here's the third one, grace. God's grace is also a factor in that God can illuminate the mind and provide a way for a person to think and to think well, let's say in a discipleship context. God can give light to a problem or he can dim the light to a person. There is grace here where God is the one that opens the mind and shows the way and provides the light. And sometimes he, he may do that, and sometimes he don't. There's mystery here. I'll talk about that in just a moment. But we have to factor in God's grace. Number four, sin. We know sin is an issue, specifically the noetic effect of sin, how sin affects your mind. Sin has a way of dulling or hardening your mind, your conscience, 
to, to where some of the highest IQ folks in the world cannot see what they need to see. He has a high IQ. He has hidden sin. Which is going to win? Well, hidden sin, unrepented, unconfessed sin is going to dull the mind no matter how smart this person thinks he is. Plus, not just that, but back to God's grace. A proud person, God is a warring army against that individual. He's smart as a whip, has seemingly unlimited capacity, but God is opposing him because God's grace is for the humble. And this person has sin, hidden sin in his life, and is dulling him, and God is not giving him light. God is the obstruction in this person's life, even though he has a high IQ and a significant capacity. So number one is IQ, number two is capacity, three is grace, four is sin, number five, character. The other side of the sin problem is a person's character. I'm talking about a Christ-like characteristics. If you have Christ-like characteristics, you're in the best place you can possibly be to do well in any chosen career. Just as sin makes God a a warring army against you, Christ-like characteristics makes God, he's giving you his empowering favor. He is so for you. In many ways, high character of a person is better that high IQ. But you don't want to throw any of these out or dismiss any of these. You want to assess them all. And so with each one of these, you want to ask yourself some, some intuitive and insightful questions. And so we have character. Number six, habits. Habits. Habits come into play. Let's say a person has discipline, a disciplined life. Let's take something simple like running track or doing push-ups or lifting weights. Let's take something in the sports field, like in the gymnasium, for example. A person who spends time daily going to the gym, they have good habits. Do you think they're going to do better in a particular course of study? Do you think they have a better chance of doing well or even better than others? Repetition in discipline is part of the data points that you want to include here. Again, you could have high IQ, but you're lazy. And let's take our mastermind students. You want to disciple well. You want to be a biblical counselor, but you're spotty in how you do your homework and how you do the program. Well, I don't know what your capacity may be because you have poor work habits. You don't manage your time and you're not steadily doing this. You will, you will not, it would not be fair for you to assess yourself to see if you're any good at this if you don't have good work habits. You will see this across, across the board in any career. The people who are repetitive, who have excellent habits, typically are going to be the people that do well. Now, you will have other people, and here's some exceptions to this, like in the classroom, and we all had this guy or this gal who had poor habits, but they had a high IQ. And so they didn't study, but they made hundreds. Well, okay, they succeeded in school, but how they succeeded in life. And so habits is a key uh, data point here, number six. Number seven, academics. Now, I've, I've talked about classical intelligence 
uh, in other podcasts. In fact, I have a link here in these show notes about this subject because it's such a, a big deal. In fact, I did a video on our YouTube channel about the difference between classical intelligence and original intelligence. In fact, I'll put seven and eight together. Seven is classical intelligence, and, and number eight is original intelligence, which is common sense. Classical intelligence is, a, in a sense, it's like IQ, but not exactly. It's the person who, who studies well and they're book smart. You can think of it that way. Classical intelligence is a book smart person. Does being a book smart person help you in biblical counseling? Yes, of course it does. Of course it does, as well as all these other things, either help or hinder. In fact, everything that I've mentioned thus far helps you in biblical counseling, except for number four, which is sin. IQ, capacity, grace, sin, character, habits, academics, and common sense. There's eight things. All seven, seven of these eight will help you to be a biblical counselor. All seven of these are different in some ways. Some people can have classic intelligence. It can be some super book smart people, but they don't have common sense. I'd rather have Bubba, who has common sense, but yet didn't go to university. Never, maybe he didn't make it out of high school, but he's got common. And I've seen these people. They got great original intelligence. And Jesus actually communicated that way, by the way. It's one of the beautiful things I love about Christ is that he just took common nature, everyday events or situations or things uh, on his path as he, as he moved along in and out of Jerusalem and around Israel, and he used those common sense things to communicate deep spiritual truths. And I've seen people with, with high common sense, and I'm not saying Jesus was, <laughs> was not academic. We know that he was. But I've seen people with high common sense, but yet they haven't been to university. And so number seven is academics, classical intelligence. Number eight is common sense, original intelligence, simply stated as a person's common sense. The unique ability, their unique ability to assimilate the data and provide practical answers to life's problems. i got 15. Let me move on. Number nine, passion. Passion for a task makes a huge difference. And I've also seen this in our mastermind program. We have some students that they really are passionate about doing this. And by the way, their passion fuels their habits. Because they're passionate about it, they get down to it, and they're really consistent about doing their schoolwork. And again, this applies to anything. If you don't have passion for something you're not going to do well at it. In fact, what you're going to do is you're going to procrastinate. You're going to fill your time with other things. And you're not going to move into the discipline with optimism, faith, and a positive attitude. Think about this. If you have passion for something, if, if you're really passionate about it, you're going to have faith for it. You're going to be optimistic about it. You're going to have a positive attitude Yesterday, we were pulling up a, we were getting rid of our horseshoe pits. And when I put in the horseshoe pits over a decade ago, I, I put them stakes in with concrete and rebar. <laughs> those, those things were, let's just say they were well in the ground. And so we have a fence puller. It's just a mechanism that pulls, it's really a nice tool. But we have a fence puller that pulls posts out of the ground and and it wasn't going so well, and, and my son was making some negative comments. And I just told him, son, we need to be optimistic about this. Then Lucia chimed in. She said, no negative waves, Hayden, no negative waves. 
And that's a comment that I've said a thousand times in our family. I don't like negativity. I don't like pessimism. I don't hang or I don't like hanging around negative people. People who speak negatively and pessimistically, I don't want to be around them. I don't like negative waves. And so and, and I'm not saying that I bury my head in the sand and everything is I look through everything through rose-colored glasses. I'm not saying that at all. I I, I like to think that I have some discernment. But I just don't like poor mouthy negative people. I don't want to be around them. I want to enter into things, things that we have to do, like pulling horseshoe stakes out of the ground. You can either pull them out of the ground with a negative attitude or you can pull them out of the ground with a positive attitude. And it's far better to pull them out with a positive attitude. And you take a person who is passionate about the task, it's going to go better for them. It's going to go well. And so like, say, our students in our mastermind program, if they're passionate about it, well, then they're going to move into it with optimism, with faith, a positive attitude, not with this procrastination and just excuse after, well, you know, it's just like, I just can't, you know, my time is just, you know, this, that, and that happens, and I just struggle with this, struggle with that. Stop it. Stop it. Either you're in it or you're not. If you're in it, ask God to give you a passion for it and stop it. And so if you have passion for it, if you don't have passion for discipleship or biblical counseling, no matter how smart you are, you're not going to do it well. And so passion is a huge deal, number nine. Number 10, skill. Skill. It's a little bit different than capacity. Capacity was uh, number two. We're talking about skill here, and that's just having, just having the skill to do it, to swing a bat. Then you play baseball, catch a catch a ball, football. You play football, hit a tennis ball. You play tennis. Do you have natural skill? Trying to force yourself into a discipline that you really can't do will frustrate you. This is a key aspect of our parenting, rearing our children up in the way that they should go. Part of where they should go is tied to what they can do well. And all three of them are different. You have a skill for it. And so do you have a skill for discipling? And again, it's tied to these other things as well. Well, if, if you're not passionate about it and you, you don't have habits, you haven't been doing it, it'd kind of be hard to know if you have a skill for it. Number 11, a following. Typically, all folks who are good at something have a following. That doesn't necessarily mean thousands of people are gathered around you because you're so blooming good at what you do. But there's two or three, a trickle effect, drip, drip, every now and then. I mean, people, you you, you tend to hear after a while, five years, seven years, three years, ten years, you begin to hear this like, you know, you're pretty good at that. Yeah. And you start hearing these, that's part of what I mean by following, you'll hear these repetitive comments that come into your life, because people will see you similarly, and they will make these comments. Part of that's what I mean by following. It doesn't mean that you have a social media platform and you have 10 million followers. I mean, that could be it, but but you could take it down to this lowest level. I mean, the most simple level is that, that there's this a, a, a word cloud of comments around a theme, like say, for example, you know, you really are very helpful when it comes to disciple making and and biblical counseling, following number 11. Number 12, comparison. 
I add this point because there's a danger in comparing yourself to someone else. And this, all of the virtually all of these data points here are are positive data points, except number four was sin, and number twelve is comparison. Because this is what my student was doing. They, he read a heady book, and he's wondering, man, that book was so hard to read. My mind was moving through concrete, and I just couldn't grasp some of these ideas in this book. You want to be careful about comparing yourself to someone else and then disqualifying yourself because you don't meet, let's say, the criteria of this book or what this book is teaching. Let me give you another illustration. If we all compared ourselves to John MacArthur, there'd be very few preachers. He has a larger capacity. He has God's favor in a particular way. He probably has a few other things on my list here that enables him to do what he does. Our indicators, this list that I'm giving here, may be smaller by degree, but it doesn't necessarily mean it disqualifies us from doing a similar work. If every preacher compared himself to John MacArthur, there'd be millions of preachers just walking away from preaching, and that would be unfortunate. And so this is a negative one here. Guard your heart from comparison when you're trying to assess yourself to see if you're any good at something. Number 13 is burden. Some folks have a burden for a particular thing, but they just aren't good at it. All these other data points do not match up with who they are and how God is should be directing their lives, or how God is trying to direct their lives, but they're not listening. And I do see this in biblical counseling a lot. A burden for a job does not always mean you have the qualification to do it. I have some burdens or desires to do things, but for different reasons, I'm not good at it. Two of them in particular that come to mind is playing a guitar and speaking Spanish. I have a desire. I want to speak Spanish, and I also want to learn to play a guitar. But guess what? Virtually every one of these things in this list don't apply. Well, the biggest one of all is habits. I haven't disciplined myself to do it. And uh, number nine, passion. Obviously, I'm not passionate enough to do it because I'm just not practicing even though I want to do it. And so just because you have a burden, it doesn't mean that you should be in that particular job. And so you want to think about that. Do I have a burden? Okay, great. I have a burden for it. But does that mean I'm qualified to do it? Eh, maybe, maybe not. And I've I've tried to talk a few counselors, wannabe counselors, out of doing biblical counseling, not out of doing just regular discipleship, no, but out of doing high-end formalized biblical counseling because they just were not good at it or they were not good at it at that time, and there were reasons for it, and it was objective. Number 13, burden. Number 14, mystery. There's a mystery here. There, there is an element, and you want to tie this to the grace of God. One of the previous points, the grace, the grace of God was number three. Now we're down to, to number 14. And so you want to tie mystery to the grace of God, as I've already mentioned. But the truth is there is a mystery here that God will choose to raise even foolish, what appears to be foolish, unqualified people for his fame while putting down the high IQ person. The easiest illustrations of this are the apostles, some of the apostles. And people looked at them and, and, and saw them as being foolish, and they would elevate the Pharisee as the highly trained individual 
But God put down the Pharisees and raised the so-called foolish people. There's an element of mystery here. It's not always to the high IQ person or the person with the greatest capacity, and so you want to factor in mystery. Number 15, this is the last point, is honesty. You want to make an honest assessment of yourself, and that's where you want to bring others in, people that you trust, people who have the courage to, to speak to you with compassion, not somebody that's going to beat you down, but someone will speak to you with compassion, and, and they would look through these things as well, this list of 15 things, and, and, and talk to you about it, and that would be critical. When it comes to disciple-making Every Christian can do it. Now, you need to hear that. Every Christian can do and should be doing the work of disciple-making because we're called to go and make disciples. And Paul was very clear in 1514, Romans, that, that we, we, we have the ability to do it. So it really comes down to a, a two matters, a matter of quality and scope. Quality and scope. The quality of some believers' ability will be more pronounced than others because, well, they just have greater gifting and and other things that are indicated here in this list. The MacArthur illustration will be a higher quality of preaching. There are some people who can just do it better, but it doesn't mean that you can't disciple someone minimally yourself. And then as far as scope is concerned, you never want to limit yourself by a negative attitude. You always want to be pressing, pushing, moving, you always want to be going toward doing it better, growing, maturing within a community of people who would be honest with you. Well, what if I'm not smart enough to do biblical counseling? There's, there's 15 thoughts for your consideration. Thank you so much for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.